there is hope in the promise of the cross. Is that, is that, was, the, was that the words? Again, we've got, to, we've got to define terms a lot of the time, haven't we? Some of it's about semantics. What do we mean by hope? What do we mean there's hope in the promise of the cross? We don't just mean a vague hope in the same way that I hope when I get back to my flat later, someone will have magically done the washing up. It won't have happened. doesn't matter what I hope. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The Christian view is that hope is substantial. It's called faith. Hope has a substance and it's called faith. And what does faith mean? Faith means putting your trust in something. Not in spite of the evidence, but because of it. As Christians, we are building our life on the firm foundation of Jesus and his word, what he says about us and who he tells us about him, what he tells us about him. We build our life on the firm foundation of Jesus. We put our trust in him. That's our faith. And because of that, our hope has a substance. It's substantive. It's substantial. Faith is the the substance. Hope is the substance. So it's just good. Like, it's just good. I've got lots of things to say this morning, but the message is really like, you're, he loves you so much. He just, he just loves you. And he wants you to know him. He wants me to know him better as dad. Me and um, Anne. So I was, I was praying a while ago. Uh, and then I'll read the passage. I'll read the passage in a bit. A while ago, a few years ago, I was praying and um, I was asking, Lord, what's my deepest fear when it comes to like, being a Christian and stuff like that? And the, the thought that came into my mind, I want to say I heard God say, but I'm aware also that that's a phrase that people can um, confuse. So when I say I heard God say, what do I mean by that? I don't mean there was this massive voice in the clouds, kind of, you are an idiot or anything like that. When I say I heard God say, what I mean is that a thought dropped into my head which corresponded with a feeling in my heart. That's all I mean. You know, it's the same voice that says you've got to pick up your daughter from nursery, you're four hours late. It's the, sa- it's the same voice. So I was praying and I said, Lord, what is it? What is my deepest fear? And, uh, and the Lord said to me, do you remember Christmas 1984? I thought, no, I don't. So I thought about it. And Christmas 1984, so I just turned... I just turned four. I was born in 1980. I just turned four. In Christmas 1984, I woke up at 4 a.m., which was quite late. I overslept. Woke up at 4 a.m. And I went downstairs to find my presents. And they weren't there. And so I burst into tears and I ran upstairs to my mum and dad in tears, floods of tears. I said, he hasn't been, he hasn't been, Father Christmas hasn't been. And my mum said, that's right, because you're a naughty boy. You obviously haven't earned it. No, she didn't, she didn't say that. <laughs> that would be a terrible story. Someone could pray for me at the end. Um, she said, I'm sure he has been. Let's keep, let's keep looking. Let's, let's keep looking. And obviously, what had happened was that they hadn't expected me to be up at 4 a.m. So they'd, um, they hadn't moved the presents into the room I was expecting them to be in. So we went looking, and we went into this other room, and the presents were all there. And... Um, so I really felt the Lord speaking to me that my deepest fear is that if I look for him, he won't be there. If I listen for his voice, I won't hear it. But it's not true. 
Because that's what we call, without wanting to be overly charismatic about it, that's what we call the orphan spirit. And as I was saying at the start, we are not orphans. Does Jesus say that he will leave us as orphans? What does he say? That he won't, exactly. Thank you, Peter. Yeah, it wasn't a hard question, but it's right. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. We are children of the Most High King. He is your dad. Abba, Jesus calls God the Father Abba. Now, Abba doesn't mean daddy, but it's the most affectionate word they had for father. And the most affectionate word we have for father is daddy. Like, it's okay to know that God is your daddy. He's dad. It's really good news. Once we understand that, the message this morning is what does it mean to be a sheep? Really, to be a sheep, we need to know that we have a shepherd and we need to listen for his voice. And once we know that he is talking to us and he will answer us, then we can listen. When we listen, we can hear and that will build us up into our identity. So let me read the passage. Um, So Matthew 25. the sheep and the goats. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So what does it mean to be a sheep? It means doing what we said we're going to do with Redeemer King, which is to go after the lost, the last, and the least. That's what it means to be a sheep. And we're doing it. Like Easter Sunday, people did go into prison. Andrea went into prison. We are visiting, we do have people who go and visit the sick in hospital. When we get our own building in 2027, <laughs> maybe we'll be able to do community meals. We want to do all this, and, it, and it's amazing. It's amazing because there's a load of people in Chesterfield who don't know who they were born to be. They don't know how loved they are. They don't know how valuable they are. And so they live as orphans. And that's not to condemn them. It's not their fault. Someone's fainted in the spirit already. The power of the gospel. But if we want to... 
if we want to really bring people into God's family, we need to know who we are. We need to really own our sonship, own the fact that we are sons and daughters. Galatians 4, you are no longer slaves, but sons and daughters. If we want to reach 110,000 people in Chesterfield, and every one of them who doesn't know the Lord needs to. Like, it's possible to have an eternity without Jesus. In 10,000 years' time, Carl was preaching last week, wasn't he? But in 10,000 years' time, we'll be with the Lord. The Bible is clear that there are people who won't be. But let's make sure that it's no one that we know. And the message is not behave yourself. The message is repent and believe. Repent doesn't mean stop being naughty. It means change your mind and turn around. But if we want people to change their mind about how much God loves them, we have to know it as well. We're at this Randy Clark conference. Randy Clark um, has uh, got a very world-famous healing ministry. Uh, started the Toronto Blessing. So people like Heidi Baker and Todd White, some of you will know, they were kind of um, prayed for by, uh, by Randy Clark. And so me, Anne, and Matt Bibby and Sarah Waterston, we went down on Friday to this healing conference at the King's Arms in Bedford. And it was great. Like, it was an ama- it, the testimonies he was giving was fantastic. And he, um, people, were, people were healed while we were there. And people were shaken in the spirit. So there was a particular bit where we worshipped and Randy Clark you know, prayed for people. And like, people were on the floor just shaken in the spirit. People were weeping. People were being healed. And I felt nothing. I was just standing there like, okay, well, when's the Holy Spirit going to hit me? Because these, these people, some of the people on the floor, some people might have been making it up, but some people were honestly just shaking with the power of the Spirit, being set free from stuff. And I looked over at Matt Bibby, and Matt Bibby was just standing there like that. And Anne was standing there, and I was standing there. And the temptation was, me to th- was for me to think, what's wrong with me? Why are these people more deserving than me? When's it my turn? It's very easy to think of yourself as as a side mission in God's story. As a kind of a subplot. And that's what happens when when we don't know the truth. You see, Jesus says in John 8, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He doesn't say you will feel the truth. Feelings are great. And feelings are true. Feelings are a great um, gauge of, of how we feel. <laughs> Aren't they? But feelings are, they make brilliant servants and, and terrible masters. Are you, have you heard of mindfulness? Emily, have you heard of Mindfulness. Emily and I have talked about mindfulness. She hates it. Now, now mindfulness, it's uh, quite a new age thing. Uh, and it's the idea that if you, um, you kind of train your mind to think, in a, to think positively, that's essentially, isn't it? You train your mind to think positively so you take ownership over your, over your situation. Um, now, mindfulness, is, uh, mindfulness works. Like, we don't have to say mindfulness. Mindfulness does work. People who employ mindfulness, their lives tend to get better. It works because it's true. However, it's not true with a capital T because it doesn't lead you to the truth. 
with a capital T, the truth that was wired into the universe. However, mindfulness works because it is a, a kind of tributary of the truth. But you don't need mindfulness, which doesn't lead to Jesus. You can just read the New Testament, because the New Testament is full of mindfulness that leads you to the truth with a capital T. Romans 12, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. John 8, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Romans 6, Paul says, think of yourselves as dead to sin. Guess what? You are dead to sin. So think about it that way. Because we've been given the mind of Christ. James 1, it says, consider it pure joy when troubles come. It doesn't say when troubles come, you will think, well, this is proper race. Can't wait for these troubles. So consider it pure joy. Change your mind. Repent, Christians. I've always wanted to say that. The Bible's full of mindfulness in its, in its original, pure form that leads us to the truth, the truth that will set us free. So I was there like, at Randy Clark Conference and thinking, like, you know, I don't, what's going on? I, I, it took me a while, it took me probably 24 hours to kind of wrestle with it and, and, and come back to a place of, of not, feeling like an, not feeling like an orphan. Because I felt, I felt really low. I, felt, I actually felt a bit rejected by God on Friday. Because I had a, a huge expectation. It wasn't, I didn't have faith. I had huge faith that the Holy Spirit was going to, you know, smash me on the floor. And it didn't happen. But it doesn't matter how I feel because it's not my feelings that will set me free. I feel great this morning because I've had about four cups of coffee. And later on, when I'm asleep in front of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I will, I will crash. But Jesus is on the throne regardless of how I feel. It's the truth that sets us free and we can, read, we can read this amazing collection of books and know the truth. So that even when our feelings are in the wrong place, our thoughts can be in the right place. Like we have, we have a will. There's 110,000 people in Chesterfield. There's, there's 200 adults in the Redeemer King community. If... If every adult, this is presuming the kids don't do anything, if every adult at Redeemer King spent one minute a day telling one person a day that God loved them, if every adult spent one minute a day telling one person a day in Chesterfield that God loved them, in a year and a half, everyone in Chesterfield would have heard that God loved them. A year and a half. Imagine that. Imagine everybody hearing the story that, you know what, there is a God of unconditional love who says that you are worth dying for, who says that you are not random, you are loved and you are valued and he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to set you free from the things that are killing you. Imagine what that would do to the mental health levels in Chesterfield. Imagine what it would do to the community spirit in Chesterfield. And it's not true that we, we don't have to do it. Like, we do, that is... <laughs> We do have to do it. The people in Chesterfield who don't know about Jesus need to. Put your hands up if the idea of telling, and it's not a trick question because I'm going to put my hand up. If the idea of telling a different person every day about Jesus makes you feel afraid, put your hands up. Good. Congratulations because Satan hates you and that's your prize. Honestly, it's not, I'm not trying to trick you. Satan has one weapon against you. 
fear. Satan cannot rewire the universe. He can't rewire the universe. He can just get you to rewire your own mind. Because that's what addiction is, isn't it? Addiction is a, a corrupted rewiring of the mind. It changes your neural pathways. Satan can't rewire the universe. Satan can't change the fact that it's Jesus who is on the throne. Satan can't change the fact that there is a God of unconditional love who knew you before you were born, chose to make you anyway, and says that he will never leave you and never forsake you. Satan cannot rewire the universe. He can't change the fact that at the cross, the legal indebtedness that stood against you and condemned you was taken away. Satan can't change the fact that Jesus disarmed all the powers and authorities that were arrayed against you so that they don't get to win. He can't change that. He can just get you to believe something else. He can just convince you that maybe it's not true or that maybe God didn't do it for you, he just did it for the better Christians, for the people on the floor at the Randy Clark conference, but not, not for you, Andy, not for, not for people like you. Jesus says, I am the truth. It's okay. Come Holy Spirit. <laughs> When's it my turn? <laughs> Jesus says, I am the truth. He describes Satan as the father of lies. Like we, we're a church, we, we believe in the things of the Spirit. Generally, as a church, we believe in the things of the Spirit. So we would say that, you know, Jesus believed in the demonic, so we, and we agree with Jesus. But Satan's not the father of negative emotions. He's not the father of... He's the father of lies. The demonic is mainly lies. Satan wants you to believe a lie so that you don't believe the truth. He wants you to rewire your mind so that you can't be renewed by the transforming of it. Because if you don't have your, if your mind isn't centered on Jesus, then your feelings will dictate. Your feelings will be the things that lead you. And again, they are terrible masters. And you can't serve two masters. You either serve Jesus or you serve something else. Anything that, that isn't Jesus will ultimately lead to death. I know this is quite grim. I do think it's important. And it is good news. The good, the good news is that we, that we don't need to believe the lies. We don't, we don't, need, to, we don't need to live in fear. Because for something to be, for you to believe something, you, you don't... <laughs> Waiting for a start of all. For you to believe something, it doesn't need to be true about you. There are people in this room, there are people in this room who believe that their addiction is inevitable and they will never overcome it. There are people in this room who believe that they are unlovable because someone has told them. That's what a curse is, my friends. A curse is just a lie that has never been replaced with the truth. You hear something enough times and you'll believe it, whether it's true or not. People in this room believe that they are unworthy, unlovable. Some people in this room believe that they're too good, that they're better than other people. That's a lie as well. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. Come with me, follow me. As for you, follow me. He is the pioneer 
and the perfecter of our faith. We stay in line with him on the narrow path, whether there's ups and downs. And he'll perfect it, but we've got to stay close to him. We've got to allow the truth to set us free. Because there's loads of lies out there. What's L'Oreal's uh, catchphrase? You're worth it. You see, you know that. You believe that to a degree. But what are you worth? You're worth buying their products. That's why they're telling you you're worth it, so that you'll buy their products. I mean, I've never really had much cause for it for the last 15 years. But <laughs> Jesus says you're worth it, but he says you're worth dying for. And it's free. You've got to realize that we have a, a shepherd. In John 10... This is what it means to be a sheep. John 10, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And they will not follow the stranger's voice. He doesn't say there isn't a stranger's voice. John 10, 10, Jesus says, The thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. I have come so that you can have life and have it in its fullness. What Jesus doesn't say is the thief who comes to kill and steal and destroy fails. Sometimes the thief does kill and does steal and does destroy. Because there are other powers at work other than the power of God. And like you know that. Whatever you believe about, about God or about you, you know that it's not just love that makes the world go around. There's other things at work as well. If you don't build your identity on Jesus, if you're a Christian, I mean, if you don't build your identity on Jesus, it's not going to end well. In Luke 10, I'm going all over the place, but I'm talking on, on, talking on a theme here. In Luke 10, when Jesus sends out the 72, the 72 disciples into the different villages to, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to pray for people. He sends them out and they come back and it says the disciples returned with great joy. They came back with great joy. They say, Lord, it's incredible. Even the demons obey your name. And Jesus is like, yeah, well, of course. I mean, I'm the Lord. I think I've been quite clear on that. We're not paying attention. He says, don't be concerned with the fact that the spirits obey you. Be concerned with the fact that your names are written in heaven. Demons flee at the name of Jesus. The spirits do obey Jesus and he's given us the authority. So when we pray, stuff happens. When we pray against the demonic, Jesus wins. Fact. It's in the Bible. Fact. And there's a, it's a process to it. And it's not binary. It's a spiritual war. But... When Christians pray with the authority that Jesus has given us, things happen and darkness flees. But Jesus says, don't be concerned with that bit. Be concerned with the fact that your names are written in heaven. What's he saying? He's saying, act out of your identity. Because people will reject you. People are going to reject you. and you can, it's, easy to, it's so easy to feel rejected. But we don't have to be. We act out of our identity. Your names are written in heaven. Jesus says in John 10, 
I call my sheep by name. He knows your name. He's calling you by name. He's got a plan for you. He knows the plans he has for you. He says, my sheep hear my voice. It doesn't say, my sheep always recognize my voice. Because there's other things that we hear. I went on a... Um, uh, I, I wasn't, I've never been a youth leader, I'd be dreadful at that, but a, a mate of mine, I went to help a mate of mine who was taking some uh, youth to Alton Towers. And uh, on the way there, he said, um, right, we'll listen to your music on the way, and uh, on the way back, we'll listen to my music. So on the way, they had, um, this was in the, like, the late 90s, so it was like Warren G and Tupac and stuff like that. I mean, it was amazing. But we got to Alton Towers, and they were all, all the youth were like, they were really kind of het up. They were aggressive, they were posturing, they were just... They were just angry, actually. They were kind of full of adrenaline. On the way back, um, my mate put Classic FM on the whole way back. And when we got back to the place where we were landing, they were so peaceful. Because like, we are sponges. Like, none of us are free thinkers. Like, no one here is dressed in a toga. You're dressed very much like people who live in Chesterfield in 2019. None of us are totally free thinkers. I imagine if Suzanne felt like there was the opportunity to come in the toga, she would do that, just to let you know. I think I can say that. I think she'd agree with that. We become, we absorb things and we become like what we behold. Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10 says. But we also become like what we behold. Um, Proverbs 37 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. What we listen to, we give our allegiance to. You listen to lies, and eventually you'll, you'll hand yourself over to the light. You listen to the truth, you'll hand yourself over to the truth. We're called to be slaves, but slaves to Christ, who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who loves us. And wants to lead us into fullness of life. The thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. So don't let it. Jesus says, I have come so that you can have life and have it in abundance. Have it in its fullness. And that doesn't mean that it's, not, it's always going to be great. It doesn't mean that. But it just means that you can know who you are. When we act out of our identity, that's what it means to be a sheep. When we understand who God is and what he says about us, that's where our identity comes from. And once we know who we are, then we can help other people to know who they are. Because we're talking, we're then telling people, like, I've got to tell you what my dad says about you. Which is a much more encouraging thing than, hey, let me tell you about what this distant, angry magic sky clown says about you. Well, no thanks, that sounds creepy and terrifying. It's like, my dad's got something to say to you and, it, and it's good news. When I was in Huddersfield, um, I went out praying for, on the streets um, and I found this group of teenagers and this one guy um, squared up to me and uh, he wasn't aggressive but he was confrontational. He said, um, what do you mean? You're praying? Who are you, who are you praying to? Are you religious? What's going on? Who are you praying to? That's a very good Huddersfield accent, by the way, just in case you wanted to check it out. And at that point, there was like 15 of them and this guy squared up to me and I heard God say, as in 
the thought dropped into my mind and it corresponded with a feeling in my heart that I should say something. And what I heard God say on that occasion was, this guy's never met his dad, ask him about it. I was like, uh, Nathan, he told me his name was Nathan. Um, Nathan, tell me about your dad. And he went from being the kind of the alpha male and he just dropped, he looked at the floor, he said, I've never met my dad. I said, this is going to seem weird, Nathan, but I actually, I actually knew that. I felt like God had told me that. And I've got some good news for you, mate. I've got some good news for you. That there is a father out there who loves you. Like, I can tell by the way that your head dropped that you feel the absence of a dad. You're wired to have a dad and you feel the absence of it. And I've got news for you, good news. It's that God knew you before he made you in your mother's room and he offers to never leave you and never forsake you. And I just want you to think about that. And there wasn't any great miracle. He didn't start crying or anything like that. But he said, I will think about it. And something had changed because I saw something in his eyes that looked a lot like hope, actually. Something had changed. Because all I had done, all I had done was to tell this guy who thought he was an orphan that he wasn't, born, he wasn't born to be an orphan and God wasn't prepared to leave him that way. And that's the message we have for Chesterfield. You weren't born to be an orphan and God isn't prepared to leave you that way. Come and receive freedom. Come and receive hope. Come and receive joy. Come and receive light. Come and receive life. So why we call it the gospel, it's good news. But we've got to know. We've got to know that Jesus is our shepherd and we, we belong to him. And we've got to listen to his voice. And the way we do that primarily is, is, is through his word. But we can also do it when we're praying. We can trust that God, God will speak to us. God will speak to us. And he'll speak through his word. And his word is, is, is uh, everything else is going to pass away. But God's word will never pass away. Which is good because it's the best thing out there. Well, we need to read the Bible, not, because, not out of a misplaced sense of duty, but because it says good things about you. Galatians 5.1. Like if you're an addict, you need, to, you need to read Galatians 5.1 where it says it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. And Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If you're a self-harmer, you need to read Isaiah 53 where it says, by his wounds, your wounds are healed. If you're depressed, you need to read Psalm 18. In his presence is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy is a real thing and it's in his presence and nowhere else. If you've been abused, you need to read the end of Romans 8. Where it says that there is now neither life nor death, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power. Neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It's good news. When we read it, we believe it because we believe something. We have a choice of what we hand ourselves over to, either the truth or the lies. And we're doing for time. Just a couple more things I'll say. We're always being discipled by something. We're always being obedient to something. And the thing is, I was reading about, you know in Revelation where it talks about people having the mark of the beast. The, 
do you know that? Have you got that far? <laughs> we're, st- we're, we're still on Genesis, to be honest, Andy. The mark of the beast is a corruption of being sealed with the Holy Spirit. Because you see, Satan can't create anything. Satan can just corrupt. So we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're marked with the Spirit. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a deposit for future salvation, for the inheritance. The mark of the beast is a corruption of that. And this is why we need to read the word and why we need to trust that God's speaking to us. Because it helps to release other people. But also it's because if you don't read the word, if you don't listen to what God says about you, you will believe other things about yourself. You are listening to something all the time. You're always listening to something. You're always obeying something. And you see, the voice of the enemy sounds very much like the voice of the father. The voice of the enemy says, ah, I know what you're like. I know what you're like. I know, Andy, you can't go out and share the gospel because I know what you're like. You'll make it all about you. And then you'll just want to come home and have a pizza and watch Netflix. You're not... The reason the Holy Spirit didn't hit you, Andy, is because actually you're just a bit of a fraud. You're really good at being up front, but your prayer life is, is rubbish. So what, these are the lies that I believe about myself. So the voice of the enemy says, I know what you're like. The voice of the Father says... Don't listen to him. Because I know who you are. I know who you are. Before anybody else had the chance to say anything about you, God spoke first. God spoke first, speaks loudest, and will have the final say. And he says, this is my child, the beloved in whom I am well pleased. Well pleased. We don't share the gospel. We don't love Chesterfield. We don't look after the sick or visit people in prison so that God will be pleased with us. We do it because we know who he is and who we are. Because we know that he does love us. He is pleased with us. And he wants to bring people into that family. We need to stop listening to the stranger's voice. We need to, it's not, it's not an admonishment. It's just like, we've got to read the word because like, if we don't, we'll be lost. If you want to move in the spirit, you have to be rooted in the word because Ephesians 6 says that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. The armor of God has six components. Five of them are defensive. They'll protect you personally from the enemy attacks. There's only one that's offensive, and it's the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. If you want to see people set free from addictions, if you want to see people set free from lies, we need to be in the Word. We need to be rooted in the Word. You want to move in the Spirit, you've got to be rooted in the Word. The more you're rooted in the Word, the more you can move in the Spirit. Final last story. Me and Josh, uh, when we were doing the Easter eggs, we were at this, the Chesterfield Market, and we are speaking to these... Uh, these two, they said, they came up, they said, uh, we gave them an egg and said, we're pagans. And like, we could tell by the way they were dressed. Like, it, it was obvious. Like, we didn't think you were vicars, to be honest. And they, we had a very long conversation. It was interesting because they wouldn't really let us talk. They kept telling us that Jesus was based on Thor and Odin and things like that. I thought that was quite funny. And they said, oh, you won't believe this. Like, we have, um, we have visions of, of ravens. It's true, isn't it, this? 
So we have vision, like we're sitting there and we see these two ravens appear and then they just disappear. You won't believe us. I know, well, I do believe it. Because a raven is a corruption of, if you read the scriptures, a raven is a corruption of the dove, God's dove of peace. Replaces the raven. I said, no, we do, we do believe that. I think that's a problem for you. Anyway, they, were, they didn't really let us talk. And then right at the end, after half an hour, we started quoting some scripture to them. We quoted, I think, John 8. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And something in this lady, she didn't like it. She'd been fine with us the whole time. When we started to quote scripture, something in her didn't like it. Because it's the word of God. The enemy knows the word of God better than you do. And hates it. The demons have the right theology. When we use, I'm not trying to say you should go out and find pagans and start quoting scripture at them. What I'm saying is, when we're rooted in the word, it's a weapon. Like the word of God is a weapon. I'm not, it's, it's not a weapon of conflict. It's a weapon to set people free from the lies that they're believing. People are addicted. People are depressed. People are self-harming. These things are real, but we've got hope. We've got a substance of hope to offer people. There's hope in the promise of the cross. So let's be rooted in the word. Psalm 102 verse 18. Let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. It's talking about this. Let this be written for a future generation that the people not yet created may praise the Lord. God speaks, so let's listen, but let's, let's, be rooted in, let's be rooted in this. And let's go and tell people that, that God loves them. That he knows them. In Ezekiel, he says, I'm sending you to the house of Israel. Uh, whether they listen or refuse to listen, they will know they've had a prophet amongst them. It's not about how people react to you. People will hate you. People hate me. Honestly, some people really don't like me at all. But it's all right. Because if you live for other people's affirmation, you'll die by their condemnation. So don't know who God says you are. Because it's really good. He says you're awesome. Wonderfully and fearfully made. Psalm 139 again. Wonderfully and fearfully made. You were made with awe and wonder. You can know that about yourself. You can trust that that's true about yourself. When you know who you are, you can help other people to be free. Because he loves us so much and he loves the people who don't yet know him. So let's root ourselves in the word so that we can move in the spirit. It's okay that the enemy hates us. And when you feel afraid, see it as not your fear, but his fear, the enemy's fear. Because what the enemy wants you to do is do nothing. The enemy's greatest fear is that you will become everything that God created you to be. So when you feel afraid, laugh. Smile. And speak the word of God over yourself. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. I'm a son or a daughter. 
And that's how people will be transformed.